Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Let's Talk Tri-Delta. Thanks for joining us. I'm Karen White, Tri-Delta CEO and Editor-in-Chief of the award-winning Trident Magazine. During March, we're celebrating Women's History Month, and on International Women's Day, Tri-Delta honor our 2021 Women of Achievement. These three remarkable women have made tremendous impacts in the arts, government, and business, and we're excited to share their stories with you on this podcast. I had the honor to speak with all three of these sisters. I'm so pleased to share these powerful conversations with you. Kara Barnett currently serves as the executive director of the American Ballet Theater. She's an alumna of our Alpha Omicron chapter at Duke University and has taken her passion for ballet and the arts to new levels, helping change the face of ballet and the creative minds behind the scenes. Here's our conversation. Tell us your name, who you are, where you're from, and what you're doing in the world today. Thank you so much for having me. I am so honored to be part of this incredible celebration of International Women's Day. So my name is Kara Medoff Barnett, and I currently serve as the executive director of American Ballet Theater, which is America's national ballet company by Act of Congress. And I'm from North Carolina, and I'm joining you today from North Carolina. I am living in my parents' home in Greensboro with my three daughters during this pandemic, but most of the time, I live in New York City in Manhattan. I grew up with posters of American Ballet Theater dancers on my walls in North Carolina. So to think that I now lead this company alongside our artistic director and have the opportunity to advance and propel the careers of our incredibly talented artists and staff, I just feel so blessed. And it has been a wild ride over the past five (laughs) years, even more wild over the past year, as you can imagine, with all of the challenges facing the performing arts, but we have learned so much, grown so much, and really drawn together as as a company to navigate and to really evolve, rapidly evolve and and thrive through this time. So no live performances for the American Ballet Theater in a year? In, in just in a year. So we just this week, actually, uh, the first week of March, we had premiered an epic new full length ballet in Southern California in March of 2020. Yeah. Uh, it was our 80th anniversary season. We had so many incredible plans. We were going to tour to Abu Dhabi and to <sighs> Chicago and Detroit and North Carolina. And China and all of it just instantly, obviously yep. dissolved and evaporated as, as it did for, for everyone. Um, and then our, our 80th anniversary season at the Metropolitan Opera House in New York, unfortunately, also, I'll say postponed. It was, it, was, yeah. uh, it was canceled for 2020, but we look forward to revisiting the glory of our 80th anniversary season and to having an opportunity to celebrate eight decades of excellence. Uh, That is, it's it's phenomenal, right? And I agree. I think COVID had a different plan for all of us in the last year or so. But I applaud you for just going back and revisiting, right? You don't turn 80 that often. True. And and it's been a fascinating 80th year in many ways. So even though we weren't able to be in those traditional venues and opera houses and theaters and engage live with our audiences, we've managed to continue serving our mission, continue to extend the canon of classical ballet. And we've had artists working together in NBA style quarantined bubbles. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, We had five of them in the fall and another five coming up uh, where artists and choreographers, dancers, and staff are are coming together to continue to train and to progress and to create. And so it's been uh, really a time of experimentation and discovery for all of us. And then thinking about how we can share 
the art form and the magic of the art form and the inspiration and the uplift of the art form with our audiences through, through this venue, you know, not a traditional stage, but a different method and mode of, of communicating and storytelling. So we have, we have truly learned and discovered a, a tremendous amount about what this art form can do in, in different ways and in different spheres and different spaces. Virtual settings, right? So I think that's similarly Tridelta has learned that we're able to almost expand our reach through this virtual platform. Have you seen the same? Has your audience expanded in some way? Hugely. So our biggest gala performance at the Metropolitan Opera House is about 3,000 people. And that's a big opera house. Yeah. Our first digital gala in May of 2020 reached 76,000 people. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. The reach is exponential. And part of our mission is reaching the widest possible audience and sharing the dynamism and the power of dance with as many people as possible. So we're really trying to use this, this opportunity to shatter assumptions about ballet in the world and demonstrate that it is tremendously accessible. It's human. It's invigorating. It's, it's, uh, it is something that truly can, can bring us together and give us reason to celebrate and cheer. I, I always compare it to watching the Olympics. I say watching yeah. EBT is like watching Team USA at the Olympics because yeah. these artist athletes are the top of their game. They are the the they are the epitome of strength and artistry and achievement. And and so you you feel something. There's an emotional response where you where you can't help but cheer them on. And, and, you know, you find yourself giving a standing ovation in your living room, (laughs) even if you're not in a theater surrounded by thousands of people, you kind of leap to your feet when you see what they're (laughs) capable of. I will admit to being a fan and doing exactly that. It's just, it's so inspiring to watch those performers give it their all, right? Leave it on the stage for us. Oh, and especially during these times, right? It's it's one yeah. thing to recognize the perseverance and the dedication and the discipline that it takes to show up in the studio every day. Yeah. But it's another thing to think about the level of discipline and perseverance and resilience to yeah. keep up that level of peak performance, that level of peak physical performance, to keep your head in the game emotionally and mentally yep. when you might be training alone in your kitchen or alone yeah. in your living room for months without that payoff, right? Without hearing the applause, without being able to share a space with your colleagues and, and feed off of one another's energy. It's um, I, I'm endlessly inspired by the, the fortitude and the resilience of these artists. And I think that we all can be inspired by their, by their dedication and by their commitment. And these are just the, the sort of the silver linings, right, of a very long year and, and you know, a, a bit more to come, right? But the silver linings of this strange world we've been living in for the last year. So thank you for sharing that. One thing I want to talk about with you today is the mantra of ABT, the RISE mantra, representation and inclusion, sustain excellence. How is ABT actively making progress on that front? And do you have any advice for other organizations who've not always lived up to what we might aspire to in the areas of representation and inclusion? Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, the, the public launch of ABT Rise, which builds on 
uh, a legacy at ABT of uh, Project PLIE, which was our program to enhance and increase diversity in our training pipeline and in our administrative staff. That identity of, of ABT as America's national ballet company, as a place that celebrates diversity and dynamism, it's something that we have been working on for quite some time. And ABT Rise is the most recent announcement and deepening and expansion of our efforts. And I think that that last part, that sustain excellence is crucial. It emphasizes that our continued excellence, our continued leadership Mm -hmm. is reliant on our ability to create a more inclusive environment, our ability to welcome diversity in all forms and to create a sense of belonging, a place where everyone can thrive and pursue their dreams. And, And that that is what is going to maintain and elevate and amplify our role as a leader in this space. It's really a leadership opportunity to invest in and to focus on issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So for us, it means putting DEI front and center. RISE means putting DEI front and center in all of our decision-making. So not only in our educational pipeline where it remains where diversity and inclusion remain core pillars, but in our administrative staff hiring decisions, in our uh, retention, in our staff education and training, in our marketing, in our relationships with our venues and presenters around the country and around the world, in the ways in which we commission new stories and new storytellers. Who are the choreographers? Who are the designers? We, in all of these areas, we need to be thinking about and discussing honestly, candidly, have we explored all perspectives? Who's in the room when this decision is being made? And as far as advice, because I don't think that we're necessarily positioned to offer advice. I will borrow some advice from a leader I admire, who's the president of Duke University, Vincent Price. And I heard him speak recently on what Duke is doing to advance racial justice and social justice. And and he said he's approaching it with equal parts of honesty, humility, and hope. And I think that's a really helpful framework uh, because I think the honesty is, is crucial. We have to look in the mirror and we have to say, what has this organization done in its history in ABT's case in eight decades, some of which we're not proud of? Sure. And how are we currently steeped in systems and processes that uh, uphold certain inequities and an environment where certain people have headwinds and others have tailwinds? And we need to acknowledge that honestly and candidly. And then secondly, with humility, as leaders, we don't have all the answers and we need to open up the aperture and invite in honest conversation and courageous conversation. And I think Tri-Delta has been doing that uh, in an extraordinary way from some of the interviews and conversations that I've seen on on Tridelt's website and that I've seen reported. It's 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 listening and uh, and truly listening to the lived experiences of members of your community who perhaps haven't had the venue or the opportunity to share those experiences in the past. So it's it's really the humility to say we don't have all the answers. Who can we surround ourselves with and who can we listen to? And it at ABT, we have an incredible internal DEI working group yes. of 50 plus 
dancers, musicians, crew members, staff who are who are collectively raising issues and challenges and questions for leadership. And we really welcome their input and guidance and suggestions and challenges. And then we also brought in a and have created a Rise Advisory Council. Oh, nice experts in the space. Again, this humility that we don't have all the answers, but they're individuals who've spent their entire lives working in advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion, and possibly in other industries, right. uh, possibly in adjacent fields. How can they share, uh, generously share their knowledge, share their networks, share their resources with us so that we can learn and learn swiftly? Yeah. And, uh, and so I think there's then the humility that you're not always going to get it right. And so you've yeah. got to take courageous moves forward. You have to forward fumble and recognize that there's going to be some fumbling, but the effort, yeah. but the emphasis is on the forward part and, sure. and that neutrality and pause is not an option. It, it's just not. That's yeah. if you are trying to be neutral or you're trying to just hunker down, then you're not making forward progress. You're not advancing justice. And so uh, humility to say, okay, we're, we're going to forward fumble with an emphasis on forward. Yeah. And then, uh, and then hope. And I think that that's really important too, because it can at times feel hopeless um, when we see all of the challenges that we're facing, when we look at all of the wrongs that our institutions and organizations have, have been part of in, in this uh, American context. And I, and I think that we have to think that we as individuals and as organizations and as collectives of human beings who care for one another and who want to help one another, that we can make a positive difference, that we can enact change and that it's uh, it's forever work. It's not uh, something you can right. tie with a bow next week or next month or next year, but uh, that shouldn't uh, that shouldn't in any way diminish or dampen or dim our hope that we can do better. And so I think uh, that that uh, President Price's framework for me anyway of of honesty, humility and hope uh, gives me uh, a very, very helpful framework for how we approach the work of ABT Rise with vigor, how we advance representation on and off the stage, how we create a more inclusive environment in ballet at America's National Ballet Company, and how we sustain that excellence and build on that excellence that this company is known for. I just love it. Those are such important words. I love that framework that Dr. Price shared. I also love the way you describe DEI as a leadership opportunity, right? I'm, I'm thinking about our own work at Tri-Delta and talking about, you know, lead now as an initiative and some of our work as our efforts in DEI, but reframing that as a leadership opportunity, right? Really, it gives it a very different feel. So I love that. And, and I want to ask for permission to borrow that, if I may. Oh, please. I don't think I made it up. I've been listening <laughs> to leaders I admire and listening to my colleagues at all levels of the organization, listening to these advisors on our Rise yeah. Advisory Council. So I'm sure I borrowed that from somewhere. But it, <laughs> it resonates for me as well, because yeah, I, think I mean, that it is it is crucial and core. And, and at ABT, it's really about having DEI as part of the strategic planning process. It's not a side bar. It's not siloed as a separate department. It is 
uh, as my colleague, our amazing chief administrative officer, Kim Sharif, likes to say that we want DEI to be in ABT's DNA. Right. It is uh, that it is pervasive in how we think about all of our opportunities. And to me, that is about leadership and and about how we make decisions and how we are bold in the way that we step forward. Absolutely. And we've, we've talked about it as there's an urgency to the work, but also a criticality to the work yeah. in terms of remaining relevant as a women's organization, right? And serving the diversity of women that are Tri-Deltas, right? And providing their lifetime experience in our organization. So, so much work to be done on that front. And I, you know, I appreciate ABT's leadership and especially your sharing, you know, the work that you're doing here. Like Tri-Delta, ABT was founded in 1940, a little bit after us in right, We're a spring chicken compared to Tri-Delta. <laughs> 80 years young, but it's founded by women, right? How important is it for ABT to continue to empower and highlight women in your work? And how do you, how do, you do that? And is there any inspiration that you take from Tridelta as you focus on lifting women up? Well, ABT's founder is an inspiration for me and for, for all of us at ABT. I don't know if she was a Tri-Delta. I need to do some research because I maybe she was. She she definitely has that 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 spirit. She uh, she founded this company in uh, late 1939. She she began to form this company and she was a young widow. She had no business leadership experience. She was grieving the loss of her husband. She had two young sons and she wanted to put herself on stage and she created one of the most ambitious creative startups of all time, hiring over a dozen choreographers and 80 plus dancers and premiering at Rockefeller Center. I mean, this was no garage band. This was from the get go. (laughs) Yeah. And she sustained her leadership over 40 years. Wow. So half of this company's history was because this incredibly resilient woman decided that American Ballet Theater was going to have that, that it was going to exist, first of all, and that it was yeah. going to have a place at the table of the iconic and extraordinary cultural institutions of this country and of the world. She decided that this company would not have a permanent theater or home, but rather would take this art form to small cities and markets all across America, that this company would represent the best of America abroad in annual international tours. Uh, She really had had quite a vision and, and quite a legacy. But ABT has always had fierce and powerful women involved, not only Lucia, but uh, on our staff, on our board. Right now, our board president is uh, is a Tri-Delta, Sarah Arison. Uh, but, but there's one area, I think, where ABT and all of ballet, frankly, has not elevated women in leadership roles. And that's as choreographers, as the mm-hmm. people who are telling the stories. Yeah. And you see a similar challenge in film where there aren't enough female directors, directors or yeah. theater where there aren't enough female playwrights, right? The stories are being acted by and performed by mm-hmm. incredible artists who are women, but the storytellers haven't always been women. And so we at ABT decided several years ago in uh, 2016, 2017 to launch the ABT Women's Movement 
to address this historical imbalance. So just to give you a few numbers, the, the Data Dance Project yeah. uh, reports that even in the past season, so 2019-2020, pre-pandemic, 72% of the works that were premiered by the top 50 companies or presented by the top 50 dance companies in the U.S. were by men. Wow. We know that all of these companies have more women than men in the ranks, but yet the stories are being told by the people being commissioned. Yeah. who are uh, the choreographers, the leader in the front of the room are men. Yeah. And yeah. so with the ABT women's movement, we committed to commissioning and staging works by women. Yeah. And since 2017, we have commissioned and staged 27 works by amazing, amazing women yeah. uh, who now have these opportunities to work with the best dancers in the country and to have access to our audience and for our audience to be able to enjoy and experience the stories that these women are telling. So yes, Lucia did commission uh, a few women along the way, women like Agnes DeMille, who went on to choreograph Oklahoma on Broadway and women like Twyla Tharp, who is uh, just a giant in her own right. But they were fewer and farther between than they should be. And so our hope for the future and our commitment for the future is more and more women who are telling the stories, more and more women choreographers uh, at ABT and beyond, because once they have that ABT credential and uh, ABT on their resume, hopefully they will also be commissioned by other leading companies. And uh, so we are, I really feel it's one of the things I am proudest of in my, in my short tenure at ABT thus far is, is the speed at which we've adopted and embraced the ABT women's movement. And, and I also love saying that our leading supporter for the ABT women's movement, our, our leading donors are women also who are, nice. who are getting behind this effort and saying, this is really important to us that, uh, that we have more, more women uh, in roles of creative leadership. Oh, I just think that's amazing. And I have a feeling that Lucia would be very, very proud. Of <laughs> I hope <this> so. <laughs> yeah, she sounds like she was um, a visionary, certainly in her own right. And and to think how, how far out ahead, maybe even of the industry and the practice that she was, to think about the idea that, that ABT would be, quote, unhoused, right? And would bring ballet to others, and then think about the, the challenge, right? How probably, I mean, difficult to pivot in the pandemic, but also very core to it, to what sounds like you're founding, right? To make it accessible and available to so many. It's true that this is not that the ways in which we're thinking imaginatively and expansively uh, and entrepreneurially, that has been ABT's history, right? We've never felt bound by four walls. This company has performed in 45 countries and in all 50 states. And so the idea of not being together in person in a specific location is disorienting, but it's not unheard of. And I think that ABT is uniquely poised to be imaginative and to take some risks. And we, we uh, fondly call it our test kitchen where we're experimenting right now with different (laughs) storytelling through dance and with our artists and asking them for their innovative ideas. And I think that that's, that, that is something that is just part of, ABT's DNA, as is resilience. I mean, Lucia didn't just found this as a widow in 1940. You're talking shadow of World War II, right? right? The whole right. country, and she says, "I'm going to start 
a big, important ballet company. And I'm going to invite leading artists from all over the world to be part of it. And that still exists too. We have dancers right now, I think from 15 countries and 25 states who come together to create extraordinary, exhilarating art. And so think about the ideas that come to the table and the different approaches that come together in in this alchemy that uh, has been in the works for 80 years, but can always be better, is always evolving, is never finished. That's one of the things that I just love about this company is this constant state of evolution. I just love it. So I'm going to ask you a Tri Delta specific question. You know, it's been a minute, right, since we've been in school, but are there ways in which you can look back on your Tri Delta experience and, and see how it's inspired you in your career, in your life and and how sisterhood was a, was a part of that. I think that one thing that I loved about my Tri-Delta experience was the camaraderie and the camaraderie across ages and stages that uh, I, f- I find that it's, it's easy to find friendship in the university setting in your class. Yeah, absolutely. But to get to know women who are one, two, three years ahead of you on that journey, who are willing to reach back and share perspective, knowledge, wisdom, advice, pragmatic tips on how to survive your first exams or how to survive (laughs) that, that I found so helpful. And I think that that idea of mentorship is one that uh, continues to be very much a part of my career and, and my life and, and even some of my Tri-Delta mentors, my big sis and and women who I admired, who were upperclassmen when I joined uh, have mean, have remained uh, members of my kitchen cabinet and people I call on as I travel around the world with ABT. And in my previous role at Lincoln Center, I I, uh, ran the international arm of Lincoln Center. So travel has been a big part of my professional life. And everywhere I go, I reach out to former, to sisters, to And not only former classmates, but sisters who were in classes ahead of me and classes behind me who welcome me, welcome ABT, give me the lay of the land in whatever environment we're in um, and are able to uh, make me feel at home. So that sense of hospitality and warmth and camaraderie uh, and mentorship that has absolutely carried through from college years till today. I stay so close to my big sis and my little sis. They're two of my closest friends on the planet. And then the other thing uh, that I would say about my Tri-Delta experience that I I really try to bring into my work and into my family and into my life is an idea of playfulness. I think that uh, we have to take our work very seriously, but we can't take ourselves too seriously. That's so true. I think that Tri-Delts understand that. And my Tri-Delta experience at Duke was very much a work hard, play hard type of community where we all understood that we were there because we were ambitious about our academics. And at the same time, we were intellectually curious. And at the same time, we wanted to have a lot of fun. And my grandmother, she used to say, she passed away last year. And one of her just lines that she always said was, you have to have a little bit of fun every day. And whenever she would hear me getting too wrapped up in the minutia and the struggle of leading a company or trying to raise three kids while leading a company, she would say, did you have a little bit of fun today? 
And (laughs) I always, when she would say that, I would think about my college experience and and what Tri-Delta meant to me, which was not only this warm, hospitable, caring group of women, but also this group of women who said, okay, time to put the books down and let's go hang out, right? Let's enjoy this precious time that we have together. And uh, so I think that that idea of a little bit of fun every day and, and that playfulness that allows you to step away from the Zoom screen, step yes. away from the email and <laughs> relish and appreciate and have some gratitude for friendship, have some gratitude for laughter, have create some space for laughter. We need it. We all need it during this pandemic, but we all need it in, in life. And Tri-Delta has always reminded me and the women of Tri-Delta, wherever I go, have always reminded me, let's go have a glass of wine. You've been working really hard. Yeah. Time to just uh, enjoy friendship. And so I, I really cherish that about my Tri-Delta experience and my Tri-Delta friendships. Well, and I, you know, I love that. That's, it's the basis of, of who we are at our core, right? Is, is friends and friendship, the perpetual bond of friendship, right? So, and it is magical. We've been, um, you know, at Tridelta's executive office, we adopted a mantra of fun in 21. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Can yeah, I borrow 20, that? Yes, please. Okay. Fun in 21. Not- Fun in 21. That's been our mantra. 2020 was not fun. So we are committed to having fun in 21. So yeah, so you absolutely may use may use that. Last question for you. Um, did you did you grow up as a dancer? So I danced very seriously. I was a very committed amateur. I I knew at some point that I was not going to make it to the stage of the Metropolitan Opera House with ABT, but I was very committed to my dance training. I think that it really instilled in me uh, a sense of of discipline and uh, imagination and uh, commitment. It was it was a good you know thirty plus hours a week for most of my childhood and even through through high school and and most of my Tri Delta sisters at Duke saw me dance even in college and it was interestingly not where I thought my career would go once I decided that I wasn't cut out physically to have. Uh, a life as a performer and a career as a performer for one of the top companies, I thought that I might one day serve on the board of a company like ABT, but that I was going to be a doctor. So I actually went to Duke to pursue medicine and ended up in in a roundabout way in theater production and then at Lincoln Center and eventually at ABT. So certainly not part of some master plan, but certainly uh, a serendipitous and amazing trajectory that I just really still pinch myself every day that I have the opportunity to work alongside these incredible dancers and artists. And now I have three daughters who do love ballet, uh, some of them more than others, or I would say one of them more than others, (laughs) Uh, but they all, uh, they all love going. And one of the greatest joys, in addition to hosting Tri-Delta sisters around the country and around the world for backstage tours and performances and galas, I do uh, love attending the performances with my kids with my three daughters and the fact that they can see and experience what it is that I do and why it is that I work so hard and what it means to the artists and the staff and the audiences and that they can be part of that is, uh, is just the, the greatest reward and the greatest joy. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kara, for being with us today and um, for sharing your story. Um, and congratulations on being a 2021 Tri-Delta Woman of Achievement. Well, thank you so much. I am deeply honored to be uh, part of this ceremony alongside two amazing honorees. I look forward to learning even more of their stories and look forward to uh, hosting Tri-Deltas from around the country for an ABT event in the months ahead. So stay tuned. Yes, we cannot wait. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Big thanks and congratulations to Kara Barnett on being named a 2021 Woman of Achievement. We're so grateful for her contributions to the arts and her work in elevating women and diverse voices in her industry. Stay tuned for more exciting events, programs, and celebrations coming your way. You can find out more on our vibrant new website, tridelta.org. Don't forget to send us any podcast ideas you'd love to hear. Email us at podcast at tridelta.eo.org. We'd love to hear from you. And please like, subscribe, and rate the Let's Talk Tridelta podcast. We love five-star ratings. Thank you for talking Tridelta with us today. Join us next time. Stay safe and bring you 